Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. This is Make It Kind. Make It Kind. M-I-P. With Massimella Mark Thompson. Make It Kind. Get Woke. God bless you, Get Woke. Get ready for impeachment. The Make It Plain and Get Woke podcast is here for you. Welcome back. As promised, this is part two of our Democracy in Peril panel convened by Mayor Sharon Pratt of Washington, D.C., the first black woman elected mayor of a major U.S. city. She is chairing the Institute for Politics, Policy, and History at the University of the District of Columbia. And she asked me as a senior advisory member of that board of that institute to moderate a panel on voter disinformation and voter suppression. And there were some incredible panelists. We aired part one in last week's Make It Plain and Get Woke podcast. This is part two. Malcolm Nance, former intelligence officer, part of it. Ambassador Daniel Freed of the Atlantic Council, Virginia Case, CEO of the League of Women Voters, and Professor Gilda Daniels of the University of Baltimore Law School. Part one last week was riveting. Part two is equally as riveting. We pick up our conversation in part two of the, our Democracy in Peril panel with Malcolm Nance. All right. Malcolm Nance, could you, we know that African Americans were targeted in 2016. Can you talk about how African Americans are being targeted again with disinformation in 2020? And what are the potential outcomes? Now, I've, I've said not too loudly, but I'll, I'll say it in this room, that our democracy is in peril. If we do everything we're supposed to, we always, everyone in this room knows how important it is for all the, and I can look around the room and see, pretty much see the constituencies we all represent, which represent the majority of diversity in America. You know, uh, middle class, whites to poor whites, to African Americans, to women, to LGBTQIAs, to Lat Latinx community, organized labor, intellectuals, academicians, I think all of, I've touched about everybody in this room, right? If we do everything we're supposed to do and get everyone in each one of those constituencies I just named out to vote, that still does not necessarily thwart the cheating 
that's going to go on. You know, I've joked maybe some of us need to learn how to cheat, too. But we can't. That's not the right. We want to be positive in everything that we do. But if you play cards at somebody's house every night and they got an extra deck you don't know about, you can never win. So, Malcolm, talk about how this is happening again and how the African-American community is being targeted about it and what are the potential consequences if we don't figure out what to do. I wrote in my second book, The Plot to Destroy Democracy, which was an analysis of how Russia and Russian intelligence actually are carrying out these activities all around the world. It's not just the United States. In fact, I think the United States is last. We came in last. And over 10 years, from, 20, uh, from 2010 to, to, till, the, till now, they have been co-opting the evangelical community in the United States and doing it in a, in a way that they were pitting... Christians against Muslims. They were having these conferences every year in Moscow called Protection of Christianity Conferences. And uh, Vladimir Putin's largest supporter in the evangelical community is Franklin Graham. He goes there and meets with Putin every year. Ten years they worked on the, the evangelicals, and they have them lock, stock, and barrel. Uh, the alt-right and neo-Nazis and Ku Klux Klan, some of them. You, David Duke has an apartment in Moscow. He loans it to Richard Spencer, the head of the, of the Nazis, right? Uh, when I did my analysis of the alt-right, without any hesitation, all senior alt-right leaders love the Russians because they see Russia as, in their words, the last bastion of white Christianity to ally America against Islam. And that's, Sam, for those of you who are academics, that's Samuel Huntington's Clash of Civilizations. And in my, you know, my world, spy world, uh, the only place that I had heard that before was from the, word, from the lips of Osama bin Laden. That was his big policy, was to have this clash. So disinformation, as it is now injecting itself into Western democracy, has an end goal. And that end goal is to help the Donald Trump and the United States transform from constitutional republicanism a representative democracy, which is, I, I love this because the, the tweeters on the internet go, we're not a democracy, we're a republic. And it's like, moron, a, a republic is a democracy where the rights of the minority are protected, right? And they never tweet back. So when we do this, they want us to transition from that to a sort of constitutional state by name that is actually an autocracy. And that's what's been going on with Russia, creating these Russian-backed autocracies around the world. So to do that, you have to break certain cogs that make the American sh machine go. And one of the fundamental cogs that we've learned, certainly in the last two election cycles, in the Democratic Party is the Democratic base. And that's African-American men and women and, and people of college, you know, college education and age, right? Go after them specifically. In 2016, if you read the Mueller report, there were many examples where the Russians were carrying out fake Black Lives Matter uh, Twitter and Facebook accounts and posting in such inflammatory ways that it would be repeated under pro-Trump accounts in order to make the Trump people so angry that they were, of course, even more racially incised against blacks, right? And then on some other sites that were pro-African-American, they would have the 
Hillary is, you know, what was the uh, thing? Predators, right? The super predators comment, right? They were pushing all of these themes to specifically break the black community in terms of its support, or at least to suppress the vote. Now, I made that comment about my barbers <laughs> at my barber shop. Not, the only saving grace, and I cry by even saying this, is I know none of them voted, right? <coughs> they'll sit there and they'll talk smack all day, but they won't vote. But if they had, possibly two out of four of them would have voted for Trump. So the targeting of these communities is not by accident. It is by, look, the Soviet Union studied us for a very long time. And when they were pushing anti-black and black themes using teletypes and newspapers, they, they didn't mean it, but they have this body of academic study which understood the racist heart of some people in the United States, and they turned their intelligence system into a megaphone. And every person who's in this room is a target, no matter what your race, color, creed, or sexual orientation, because they expect to use information in 2020. By the way, they're not using bots anymore, those automated systems. Now it's trolls, real humans behind a keyboard <laughs> who are now acting as key nodes that get their racist or sexist or whatever program amplified by Americans. So a lot more humans, which means they'll be a lot more adaptive in 2020. So when you detect them, they'll shift and disappear and they'll go somewhere else. But they are targeting African Americans and Trump voters. And they, that's what they want to do. They want to megaphone the message this time. Moving along, Ambassador Frieda, two questions, but I think they're important to ask at the same time. Help our audience understand, what are some of the signs? How can we recognize what is inauthentic or fake on social media, number one. And number two, and I'm, I'm stealing a little bit from some testimony you gave recently, what is social media's responsibility in terms of exposing what's not real and not encouraged? Because they can be very loose with, oh, well, we just want everybody to say whatever they want to say. We don't want to start policing people. But they have a responsibility, too. So if you could address that, please. It's a big burden to ask people to recognize sophisticated fake accounts. That's a lot to ask, especially because the Russians are a lot more sophisticated than they used to be. Bots are, are so 2016, right? Even trolls are going to become more sophisticated. They're going to set up fake whole sites, publications, organizations, and try to suck people in. We saw a little bit of this in 2016. We will see more of it. But what they really want to do is even one step more sophisticated. They don't want to drown out the domestic sludge, the, the homegrown bad stuff and racism. They want to blend in with it, steer it, push it along. Now, that is very hard to detect, which goes to your second question. What is the responsibility of, of social media companies? What is the responsibility of Congress in this area? Congress right now, there are a couple of senators who have some sophistication in this area. Warner, Klobuchar are pretty good. Rubio is pretty good on this. They understand the problem. There's one bill that would force disclosure of the actual placers of political and issue advertisements. It's easily done, 
ads are identifiable. If there's a group called Americans for Puppies, you want to make sure that it is Americans and it's not being run out of the St. Petersburg troll farm. The good news is this can be done. The bad news is that's not where the Russians are. They've moved on. But Congress can also start, and this is, I say this with a lot of reluctance, but we have to start thinking about what is proper regulation of the internet. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not talking about censorship. And the social media companies start screaming, um, used to start screaming that, that regulation meant censorship. That's not what it means. But maybe it means forcing people not to disguise themselves. Should there be, and this is a question for public policy, should anonymity online be allowed? Any human being has a right to the internet, but does that human being have a right to disguise him or herself? Can Billy Bob from Oklahoma City, can we insist that he actually be Bob from Oklahoma City? That is an interesting question, and for public policy. Then we get to social media companies. All right, they went from denial to thinking that, you know, people like Malcolm Nance and myself were old unreconstructed cold warriors, and you're living in a Silicon Valley post-national paradise. You look modern to yourself, and to the Russians, you look like candy. All right, you look like a sucker. Now the social media companies want to be seen as part of the solution, not part of the problem. I cannot tell you, and I haven't figured out in my own mind, whether they want to be seen as part of the solution or they want to be part of the solution, or the question is hard to answer because it depends on who you're talking to. I want to take them at their word and assume that they want to do the, the right thing and then incentivize them to do it with the threat of regulation standing behind you. Okay, by the way, the Europeans are way ahead of the Americans. Europeans are supposed to be slow, and the European Union is supposed to be bureaucratic and clumsy. They are way, way, way ahead of us. They've got the big social media companies signed on to a code of practice. They're required to give monthly reports to the European Union with the threat of regulation. Bottom line is I think regulation is important. I want to do it step by step, not all at once. The bad news is it's not going to be in place by 2020. It just won't be. Just real quick, though, point of information. You were naming several states and elections, uh, Macron and other places, where they had interfered in elections. You would include Brexit in that, too, wouldn't you? Uh, yeah, they were involved. They yeah, were right. everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere. Brexit and we too. see the mess that that has caused. Virginia case, League of Women Voters. And the ambassador talked about what we as everyday citizens can try to do. And as you said, your organization can't get much more everyday citizen in the League of Women Voters. You all are involved in a number of cases in court and also working on legislation. Lay some of it out in terms of how you all are dealing with voter suppression in that regard. And if, in fact, the League of Women Voters has started to or is already is either contemplating or already has a plan in place to deal with this more sophisticated voter suppression of disinformation. As far as legislation is concerned, and I think there are a lot of misconceptions around legislation. For example, H.R. 1, which is now the For the People Act in the Senate. There is a comprehensive omnibus package in the Senate right now, which would address a myriad of issues that we're facing in this country around our voting. So, for example, 
funding our elections infrastructure, which is a huge issue. We know we don't adequately fund our infrastructure. Fighting voter suppression, making sure that same-day voter registration, automatic voter registration, so just things that will make it easier, and including election security. Again, it passed in the House. It was because we are living in a hyper-partisan environment. We know this. If you're wearing a blue T-shirt, you must be a Democrat. You're wearing a red one, you got to be a, a Republican, right? I mean, that's just the, the environment that we live in. And so it was voted on party lines in the House. It passed. It got to the Senate. There is actually bipartisan support for it in the Senate. The problem is that the Senate Majority Leader has said it's not going for a vote. So they're not even bothering to mark the legislation up. That's what's happening right there. But there are other, are other solutions. Um, the ambassador referenced internet ads. There's something called the Honest Ads Act right now, Senator Klobuchar put forward. And what that would do is regulate ads on the internet, and there's a disclosure portion to that. And so we're really hoping that that will help to mitigate some of the issues. Now, let's, it, let's be real. It's not going to cover everything. I think um, it's interesting. I, Malcolm, you might find this, um, you might know this quote, but I was one of those geeky people who actually read the whole 9-11 commission report because I was intrigued. I didn't understand why this, you know, how this could have happened. I was younger. I was living in Connecticut at the time. A neighbor of mine had been killed in the world trade. It just was incomprehensible to me. And one of the things that I got from that that always sat with me was it was a failure of imagination on the part of our government. And I truly believe that this most recent attack was a failure of imagination on our government to be able to protect us. It's also currently a failure of urgency on the part of our government. And so that's why something like the Honest Ads Act can help. But again, being able to have things in place in time to actually make a difference is um, a challenge. And that's why it requires a lot of advocacy work, educating the community, and making sure that people are out there contacting their senators, contacting their representatives. You know, one of the things that is the most effective tool is showing up flooding their phone lines, sending emails. Snail mail, if that's your thing, go ahead. We're all for that too, um, although it's not always great for the environment. But we want to make sure that your people's voices are being heard because that is the only way that people are going to move. There's also the FEC last year. Again, our own bureaucracy can get in the way of our ability to, to create change. There was um, The FEC has rules around um, the Internet. And so regulation on the regulation side, they asked for comment. They got... Tons of comments. We, our organization, put it in. And I just want to say, you know, it's really interesting. There are rules, there are rules around tele telegraph and telephone. I repeat, tele have, and I don't know how, I've never received a telegraph in my life, but there, is, there are no regulations currently around the Internet and Internet advertisement. Think about that. I cannot begin to imagine how this is not possible. And they're getting hung up over one thing. How big should, should the disclaimer be? How, how big should it be? So our inability to act is, is, is an issue. And the other thing is, um, when we go back to the Honest Ads Act, which I think is important, you know, a lot of people are doing um, streaming. A lot of people don't even have cable anymore. They don't have television. Um, and so there's this internet streaming. And gaming, you know, as we look at Xbox, PlayStation, places where young people are, these are the types of advertisements that would be subject to this form of regu regulation or laws. And so it's important that as we're pushing and contacting, I will say please do push and contact um, your representatives because those are some ways that we could at least be out of, you know, the medieval 
ages and, and be able to actually have uh, regulation and laws that will help support what we're facing right now. And then there was something else, and I can't forget now. I can't remember now. Oh, Act, lawsuits. Acts, yeah. So we are waiting. Uh, we're actually waiting two decisions again. Like I said, the census um, decision on the citizenship question, which we are up um, um, on that case, and then as well around gerrymandering. And I think, um, you know, one of the original forms of uh, voter suppression is, as I mentioned earlier, it's gerrymandering in every state. And the census is so important in being able to know who is in your state and being able to have a full, complete count because that determines not only how much money you get, but also how your congressional districts are, how many re congressional representatives you have. Obviously, it doesn't impact the Senate because we all only get two. But really, being able to have people who, who, who are representing us, who are like us, is extraordinarily important. Having an accurate voice, um, and so those two are very interconnected. Um, and our gerrymandering case has been going on, quite honestly, since I think 2011. So it's been going on for many years, gone through many courts. It actually started as a racial gerrymander, and then they fixed the map, and then it was actually a partisan gerrymander. So it's complicated. But that's what's um, also really important, is paying attention to some of those suits that are happening, paying attention to how district lines are being drawn. Um, for us, our, we um, promote uh, citizen redistricting commissions. We think that it's important for citizens to have a hand in drawing the lines so that we can make sure that they are fair and that we have fair maps across the country. So those are the types of things that I think um, are really important for everyday citizens to be able to be engaged in um, and making sure that your voices are being heard. Very good. And I have a suggestion, too, before we go on that, just some ways we can all work together. Gilda Daniels, all the ways of voter suppression that you laid out. And let me just also, just as another point of information, we had the historic H.R. 40 hearing on the Hill last week. How many of you saw that? Sheila Jackson Lee. And that was the Conyers bill, finally. The Speaker supports it. No longer a study of why we need reparations, but a study of what form reparations would take. The other difference in this, for those of you who don't mind, it, it relates to what we're talking about now. It would not only deal with reparations for our enslavement, but all of the vestiges that flowed from slavery. The lynchings, the Jim Crow, the segregation, the redlining, the criminal justice system, and the police violence. So the clock is running on all that. Everything that Gilda laid out, would be a study to determine whether or not and could there be compensation to address those things. But having said that, this disinformation is so vast, and we see it every day. Speaking of fake accounts, you all can recognize some of them yourself. You'll be on Facebook with somebody. They have this strange profile picture, and everybody, everybody has a cell phone now. Anybody take a picture. But it's not a cell phone picture, so you wonder, it's not a digital photograph. What is that about? We see fake accounts all the time, or even accounts with no picture. You know, always in your inbox, always sending you disinformation. Gildo, on the scale of everything else we've seen, all the different forms of voter suppression, where would you place the, this disinformation campaign now on the scale? Because it just seems so pervasive, but where would you place it? It's an interesting question, because I, I think we've always had disinformation. I think many of you probably received an email many years ago around the, the timing of the reauthorization of the Voting Rights Act saying that black people had to get you know, Congress to reauthorize their right to vote. Did you ever get that? There was an email that folded around saying that you had to. And so that, that type of disinformation has always been around and it's certainly uh, internal and now 
exponentially external, right? And when I was asked to speak on the panel and, and I knew that some of the focus was going to be on the Russian intervention in the elections, I think it's important to note that the Russians didn't change the way votes were cast, right? Because we have this decentralized system where we don't have a central system where all the votes come up to one place and then we say, oh, this, this is who voted. We have all, we have tens of thousands of, of hundreds of thousands of, of voting machines and we have voting precincts and those voting precincts go to on the local level, city level, county level, up to, and then up to the state, depending on it. And so, so because we have a decentralized system, that's a good thing because it's harder to hack, right? Harder to actually change a vote, right? But it's also can can be a bad thing, right? And so with this disinformation, it wasn't that they changed the vote, it's that they were able to change the mindset, right? And able to change our how we thought about elections. And and with our with our freedom of speech, it's um, and people and everyone believing that they have the right to say whatever they want to say to whomever they want to say, right? Um, that it makes it uh, much harder to, to to regulate that kind of. Information. So where is disinformation? I, I place it lower only because I'm more concerned about our access to the ballot box uh, and that it changed the way people thought about whether or not they were going to vote, who they're going to vote for. Uh, but we have so many barriers to actually casting a ballot. I mean, it's easier to get a gun than it is to register to vote. You can register to get a gun and get a gun in some states in about 24 hours, 36 hours. You, you register to vote. You, you have to make sure that you do it at least 30 days before an election. Uh, if you do it within, you know, less than 30 days, then you can't vote in that election, right? But we, but we process gun licensing much faster than we process um, voting, and that's you know primarily because I think you, you can you can make you can do more damage with your vote than you can with a gun, apparently, because they're they're trying to stop you from getting that much more. So I on this this disinformation, I think we, the three things we have to do: we have to educate, legislate, litigate. Okay, so if we if we educate, do these you know if we educate our family members, people at our Churches, synagogues, mosques, um, and, and, you know, and, and at the Whole Foods and the Giant. You know? So we have to, you know, so we have to, we have to educate. We have to energize um, young people um, to vote because they're the they're the they're the missing link, right? They're the ones who are who are who are tapping out, saying we don't want to deal with this. Uh, so the disinformation is lower on the poll for me than certainly um, gerrymandering and. Uh, voter ID and these other pieces of legislation that uh, Chris Kobach and his crew and Alec and these people are uh, put together almost daily that we're constantly having to combat in court and in and, and other places. Chris. Chris Kobach from Kansas. Yes, sir. Who, who lost the election for governor. Chris Kobach from Kansas. Y'all will get that on the way home. Chris Kobach from Kansas. Okay, you got it. All right. Uh, <laughs> what can we do to protect black women? Again, I'm going to refer people to Shireen, Stop Online Violence Against Women. But would either, anyone else on the panel like to address that question? What can be done to protect black women online? Or do we want to defer to Shireen on that? She's expert. So, Shireen, I want, if you want to give us a couple quick, quick seconds. She's running. Thank you, Shireen. I'm glad you came out tonight, too. 
Uh, what do we? What can we do to protect black women? On thanks online? for inviting me out. So um, there's a couple things. Just be clear that the main targets are, are black women because black women get out the vote. Just understand that. They have been doing this for quite some time. Russia's pretending to be black women for quite some time. They have targeted black women, tried to shut them down. And so the first thing I say is don't let them silence you. No matter what happens, no matter how they're coming at you, don't, don't stop talking because that's actually what they want. The other parts of this is I teach people how to sort of protect their data online because one of the ways they come at you is finding out your personal information right. and trying to challenge you. So talk to me about that. And then the third is um, what we try to do is get, get women to, you know, coalesce with each other, work together. I get women of color from all different cultures working together so that when something is happening and they see something happening, they take action and can defend each other. Again, where can people find you real quick? Stop Online Violence Against Women, S-T-O-P-Online-V-A-W.com. All right. Thank you. Everybody got that? Oh, and I'm Digital Sister everywhere. The original, you need her to repeat? Anybody the need to write original that? Digital Sister. Let's see one more time, because I know people like to write it down. S-T-O-P. S-T-O-P, Stop Online, O-N-L-I-N-E, V-A-W.com. Stop Online, V-A-W.com. Everybody got that? And share that with the young women in your lives, too. The very urgent that you do that. Okay. United States seeks regime change in other countries. Why not Russia? Uh, Ambassador? Well, <laughs> regime change, when we tried it in Iraq, didn't work out so well. So I'm not <clears> – <throat> I don't want to take responsibility or have this country take responsibility for the regime in Russia. That said, the other part – some other questions were asked, can you go after Putin's oligarchs and the corrupt Putin kleptocracy? And we already started that. Okay, in the Obama, my last job in government after 40 years was the sanctions coordinator at the Department of State, and we were going after Putin's cronies after he invaded Ukraine. And at the end of 2016, we were aware of not as aware as we are now, but we knew what the Russians were doing in our elections, or some of it anyway. And we started going after some of the, some of Putin's people who were funding that operation. Now, one, there are a couple of bills in Congress right now about escalating pressure on the Russians, and some of the best parts of those bills call for a study of Putin's wealth, and work on his studies of his klepto kleptocratic networks. This has been done. Um, the American government, I'll just put it that way, can, can do some of this. What Malcolm Nance was saying was, was said in a funny way, but it's, not, it's a real option. That will, I don't want to be responsible for a policy of regime change, but if the Putin's, the best way to get to a better Russia is to show the bad Putin's Russia right now that it will not succeed. And then certain consequences will follow. Okay. So this is actually, you know, th there's a lot of thought being given to this right now. This is, this administration, I will put it this way, has ambivalent attitudes about it, but there are a lot of people, a lot of professionals, a lot of serious people trying to do the right thing. So watch this space. The, those options exist. All right. For Gilda, would you consider 2018 
a good year in terms of us overcoming voter suppression? The House was flipped. What, what would you say about 2018? Well, I don't, I don't think we overcame voter suppression, um, particularly because we had the Georgia was uh, Stacy right Georgia the, the, with the Florida Secretary of State right Florida election we so we still had these you know too close to call elections because we had uh, voter suppression where you had in Georgia where you had the uh, Secretary of State who's a, a candidate for the governor who was making decisions and impacting whether or not people could actually access the ballot I mean we have these politically motivated uh, people who are in, in are in very important positions and uh, until we can make these um, positions, particularly these secretaries. We had the same, we had again in, in 2000, right, where you had, was it Catherine Harris was the chair of the elect uh, George Bush campaign and was making decisions about what votes would actually be counted, right? And then we fast forward many years later and we're still doing the same thing. So until we can make these chief election officials nonpartisan, um, and maybe, maybe, maybe they shouldn't, I don't know whether or not they should be in an elected position or not, um, because we have to change you know, who gets to make the decisions. When I was at Grambling State University as a, uh, in, in, in Louisiana, I had a professor who said, we play the game, they make the rules, we win the game, they change the rules. Right, and so we got to we got to start. We got to. Hamilton says you got to be in the room when it happens. So we got to start being in the room where it, when it happens. We got to start uh, being able to, to to change to to to. We're playing by the rules, but also uh, being able to make those rules as well. Did Professor Daniels just name drop another HBCU in our HBCU? Is that what she did? <laughs> That's all right. From a student here at our HBCU, what should we be looking for, looking to do when we graduate? Tired of internships, right? I think you should be looking at the House and the Senate and the White House. Y'all need to get ready for, to run. Uh, one way I would answer that, too, is in this institute, uh, and I'm going to put the mayor on the spot a little bit, and, and Amy. See, I think one of the things that ought to happen, this is a young woman who grew up in this city and then held the highest office in this city. I think these young people would be blessed by having you during the school year sit down and, and doing brief seminars with them about how you got where you were. What were you doing when you were at their age? What were you thinking? What was moving you in that direction? Because a lot of times it's just really about navigating life, right? So that's one suggestion I would make. Then, and I think that now that they're here on this campus, that that would be good for you all. But anybody else want to? And what's some of the other things that you would say to these young people they ought to be looking for? You can also, there are fellowships. You can create a job, like with Equal Justice Works. You can create your own job. There are a number of fellowships where you can apply to actually work at organizations like Advancement Project uh, and uh, other other uh, organizations like NAACP, LDF, and, and others. So there are a lot of social justice organizations that, that have money and want young people who are energized to, to come and work with them. So look, at, look in those areas as well. Okay. And um, did you want to respond to that? Don't, um, the, the nonprofit sector, like DC is your oyster. So there are plenty of entry level jobs. I started my job community organizing and now I'm the CEO of one of the most powerful voting rights organizations in the country. And so, you know, there is a trajectory and a path. You just need to figure out what you're passionate about and then, and don't downgrade, you know, don't think that being, uh, going in as a receptionist is a downgrade. There are plenty of opportunities also within government and, and don't, don't downgrade and think that, all of a sudden, or don't don't diminish the op what an internship can do for you. Opportunities on the hill, opportunities to network and meet different people. There is just 
like I said, DC is your oyster. So it's really finding out what you're interested in and, and then searching for those organizations that are working in those spaces. The next question is directed at you, Virginia. The Latino community, we focus a lot on the African-American community, but there's a lot of disinformation targeting the Latinx community as well and confusion and divisiveness. What's um, the League of Women Voters doing to defend the Latinx vote and register and prevent voter suppression in that community? I was raised by a very proud Puerto Rican woman, and so this is something... There you go, buddy. All right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we have, we're right here. So it's something that's very important to me um, in particular um, because my first voting experience, um, my mom is a brown woman. I don't look like her. So when she took me to vote for the first time, um, I had no problems. She, who had voted many times, was asked for proof of residence. So it just, it, that was one of my first lessons in navigating life and seeing that I was looked at and treated differently. And so um, this is something that's important to me. Before I came to the League, um, I was in, um, I fought in the Latino and immigrant rights movement for many, many, many years for, for over a decade. So um, obviously this is something I bring to my role that's very, that I'm very passionate about. But the League is actually doing a lot to register voters. Um, I, I keep make, mentioning vote411.org. I really am not make, trying to make these shameless plugs, but we're actually going through an overhaul right now and looking at how we can make that a multilingual site for voter information. Um, we are also at one of the only organizations that can access naturalization ceremonies around the country. So when newly naturalized citizens are finally sworn in as an American citizen, we are right there afterwards to register them to vote at all of the courthouses. We are also working with partners like Voto Latino, Naleo, and others to make sure that we are in, in spaces where the league might not have a full presence, that we're making sure that we're partnering with those organizations um, to make sure that we're getting the correct information out. Um, we're also working with NIC, the National Immigrant Integration Coalition. They have a presence. And then FIRM. We also know that we all know that there's a huge crisis right now at the border. So I want to do give a plug for uh, the Fair Immigration Reform Movement. Those partner organizations like Chirla and Casa de Meridan and others are, we're working with them as well in their, to register voters out throughout the country. So um, again, looking at community partners, how are we partnering in those places where we don't have access, making sure that we have the linguistic proficiency to make sure that people can find the information that they need, and then, um, again, through naturalization ceremonies. All right. And our last question for the evening, very good question as well. What about mainstream media? We talked about social media. You know, now he, you know, he's good at projection. Everybody knows fake news, fake news is what he calls everything else. But that's actually what's true. It's the opposite. You know, he said Hillary Clinton was a crook, go to jail, and we know who was really committing the crimes. So what about mainstream media, Ambassador? You talked about transparency and social. What responsibilities mainstream media have in terms of, of what they do? Because let's be honest. I live in New York now. The New York Times was relentless on the Democratic nominee's alleged criminality. Every single day. And that had an influence. We don't know whether they were influenced by Russia. Probably not. But that's the power of suggestion. Criminal, 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 criminal. You read, pick up New York Times, read that every day. It has an impact. That's mainstream media. They wouldn't let it go. And then everybody was, like, embarrassed when they realized it wasn't true. But what, what responsibilities mainstream media would you say have, Ambassador? Oh, man, that, there are so many ways to really mess up a question like that. I think mainstream media has a responsibility to do its job which is 
not just be, not just fall for for clickbait, for sensationalism and 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 cheap reporting. By which I mean responding to the president's tweets instead of digging deeper. And it's it's easy to respond to the tweets, and it's and investigative journalism is expensive, and that's and the the business model is a real problem, but. You know, the truth shall set you free, right? And they're digging deeper and then exposing some of the things we've been talking about this evening is important. I don't think, I think a lot of Americans, including a lot of Trump voters, are, want to do the right thing. And it's a responsibility of the media to let them know what the score is. And that's, you know, more easily said than done. People live in their own bubbles. But rather than just indulging in this cable channel's truth or that cable channel's truth, break free of it, and I think people will listen. That may be naive of me, but I think people want to, people can be better than they often seem. I don't know that that helps. But I've been thinking about this, and I don't have a I don't have a, a a simple answer. Thank you, Ambassador. This has been an incredible panel. When you say, and very informative. But let's also not only for the the video, but for all of you. Let's just do a quick roll call, beginning with Professor Daniels. Website, social media handles where people can find you. Keep going. You got a book coming out soon too. Can't wait. All right, she came prepared too. Okay. Uh, website, website www.gildadaniels.com. Twitter is Gilda underscore Daniels. And the book, Uncounted The Crisis of Voter Suppression in the United States, with NYU Press, comes out in January 2020, just in time. Beautiful. Okay. Virginia? Yes, website, www.lwv.org. And then we also have www.vote411.org so voter information and information about all of the other great stuff we're doing you can also find us at LWV on both the Twitter and um, on Facebook you can find um, League of Women Voters and then personally I'm Case K-A-S-E Virginia on Twitter and Virginia Case you can find me on Facebook as well so pretty easy to find around these parts y'all not on Instagram? yes we are you can find us League of Women Voters on Instagram as well Gil, are you on Instagram? Uh, I need a social media person to help me figure <laughs> out. You don't reach these young people. That's where all the millennials are. All the millennials like me are on Instagram. That's where all us millennials are. Okay, Ambassador. <laughs> uh, Daniel Freed, I'm now with the Atlanta Council since yeah. I retired from government. Since we're doing plugs, Democratic Defense Against Disinformation 2.0 wrote that with my colleague, Alina Polyakova, um, gets into some of these issues. And the, go on the Atlanta Council website. Um, the Russian propaganda uh, TV station RT called us the most Russophobic organization in Washington. Wow! So you know, that's, that's a compliment. Okay. That's a compliment for you, isn't it? I, I took it that it way. A- <laughs> and I must say, I am honored to be on this panel. And we're honored to have you, sir. And folks, just Twitter because they do tweet about him a lot at Atlanta Council. So you can follow him on Twitter too, as well as the website. And lastly but not least, the hardest working man 
I don't know about that. In uh, cybersecurity and attacking disinformation. So at Malcolm Nance uh, on Twitter, where you'll see most of my activities, or in uh, in the in the, the great big media on MSNBC. Uh, and what else did you? That's it. All right. And no, I'm not on Instagram. I, I do have an Instagram account there. That's also at Malcolm Nance, but I rarely put anything but up. But that is your account. It's not yeah, a fake it's account. My account. It is your actual account. Okay. It's all verified. Verified <laughs> accounts out there. Uh, as far as media goes, um, uh, there are several books. Uh, you know, know, I wrote the first book about the Russian hacking about eight weeks before the election called The Plot to Hack America. Everything in it came true. Right. And then the, the second book, The Plot to Destroy Democracy, which is a very good book if you want to know how and why the Russians went after not just the United States, but the rest of the world. And this fall will come out the last of that plot series, The Plot to Betray America, which is about how Team Trump compromised national security. All right. Isn't this a fine panel? Give them all a round of applause. And very, very informative. That concludes part two of our Democracy in Peril panel. Hope we've all learned something. Hope we will be prepared. Hope we will be more informed. Hope we will think and operate with our third eye. We better get ready because some of the same voter disinformation and voter suppression that occurred in 2016, we can count on occurring again in 2020. 20. God bless you. Get woke. Get ready for impeachment. Thank you for listening to Make It Plain and Get Woke. Remember to listen, like, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Also, subscribe to Make It Plain and Get Woke daily. Check out makeitplain.com to subscribe. If all minds are clear, it has been Made Plain. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. 
Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.